because the fact is we're embedded in circumstances, some of which is immovable, some of which is malleable, right? So self-care for me during the pandemic, when I was homeschooling two kids and writing a book, looked entirely different to how it is now. They're back at school and my work life is boundaried in more specific times, yeah? When I'm really squeezed for time, my self-care is legs up the wall pose, five minutes where I just let myself flop and drop. I say to myself, I can let the world wait. This is time for my replenishment, yeah? Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. I'm Verena Hefti, the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. This podcast and our award-winning fellowship program is for parents who want to progress careers they love whilst being present with the children they love. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO or whatever senior dream role you're dreaming of and enjoying their young children. And in fact, too many brilliant people, often women, get stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And this leads to gender inequality and the same people leading us, mainly male, stale, middle-class, full-time people leading us. And I think we need to change this. And in fact, my hope is that many of you, the listeners to this podcast, are going to change this by progressing your careers up the ladder. And the reason why I set up this podcast is to give you inspiration, fresh ideas, practical support. Um, I ask senior leaders who have been extremely generous in giving their time for this podcast, I ask them and I ask thought leaders what they have learned about combining ambitious careers and young children. And you can use this to progress your career in leadership in a way that works for you whilst enjoying your young children. Beyond the podcast, if you want support from brilliant like-minded peers, then I would love to hear from you. We run a fellowship program, which is a world-class career development program, specifically for parents with um, access to inspirational role models and you know small group sessions and so on. I won't go into it now, but if you're interested, then you might want to sign up to our newsletter. Every month we send out ideas to try and new things to think about and access to our free events as well as information about our award-winning programs. That's leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Today's podcast guest is Susie Redding. She is a psychologist and self-care expert amongst many other credentials that she's picked up along the way, such as personal trainer, yoga instructor, and so on and so on and so forth. But essentially, she's very, basically, she knows the science behind well-being. We talk about looking after yourself in times of pressure, We talk about how to make sure you don't forget about looking after yourself despite all the other demands in your life and how you can do it without it becoming this additional item on your to-do list, look after yourself, item 115 um, on what you need to do. And I just loved her no-nonsense approach to self-care and I think we bonded over the fact that actually it is a gender equality issue looking after yourself because I think it's uh, all about, you know, if we want people to have brain space and the ability to think big and to also be happy, then I think looking after yourself is quite important. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Susie. I'm really delighted to have you here after Lauren Seeker-Smith, one of our previous podcast guests, recommended you. Why don't you introduce yourself and who's in your family and what you do for work? 
Sure. Well, my name's Susie Redding. I am a mum of two. My eldest is 12 next week. My youngest is seven. I'm a chartered psychologist and author. I'm a yoga teacher and in a previous professional life, I also worked as a personal trainer for a decade. So all of those different modalities draw themselves together beautifully to empower people with the tools of self-care. And in that way, my career just keeps evolving with my life. (laughs) Wonderful. And can you tell me something you used to assume about combining big careers with small children well that you don't believe anymore? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Do you know what? I, I just think it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? It can meander and evolve and grow in all sorts of different ways. So I'm just... I think it's great to have a plan. It's great to have a direction. But I think the more experienced I get, it's being open and seizing opportunities as they come up with both hands, seeing where they go. I love that. That actually, (laughs) basically, you're advocating for just going with the flow a little bit, which is interesting because you have seen, you are, as part of your work, you're supporting a lot of parents, aren't you? Both new, new and old, if you can say so. And I think it's really interesting that you're saying, well, actually... It doesn't have to be very structured or planned. I'm sure plans and structure is important yeah. to an extent, but actually sometimes you just need to let things things flow. I think if there's anything that the last two years have taught us, it's that we need to be flexible. We need to be malleable and respond to life as it evolves, right? So I think that's one lesson that I've learned. I'm going to be honest with you, I've learned it kicking and screaming. <laughs> but it's starting to sink in and actually I'm sort of embracing it and thinking, actually, this is exciting rather than you know, being needled by it. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, obviously self-care is a great topic and I think it's really important more so for leaders and especially also for leaders who have children because if you are, I guess, I'm assuming that self-care is about making yourself be at your best and also enjoying life. So if you want to have a good relationship and be present with your children, pretty important to look after yourself. If you want to perform at work, And you have a demanding role where you can't just turn up and do something and go home and, you know, not think about it. Yeah, it's really important. But I guess one thing I've been struggling with, and I'll be honest, is I'm not so keen on the topic of self-care. And the reason why is because I think the demand of doing self-care is almost an additional task that people can feel they're failing at. What's your thinking on it? Sorry, I didn't mean to be so confrontational. But it's just no, okay. I would love to speak to that because I think this is something that resonates broadly. And the last thing that I would want people to feel when I raised the topic of self-care is to feel like they're failing or to feel like this is something extra that they've got to add to their day or to feel like it needs to look like some kind of version that we see on Instagram. It's none of these things. Now, from my perspective, I came to learn about the concept of self-care when I became a mum at the same time as losing my father. And it was in the context of counselling with a postnatal depression therapist. I don't know whether it was PND or whether it was grief or whether it was exhaustion. The fact is I had a collision of really significant life events and I was knocked for six. And I think any human being would have been in that circumstance So I was introduced to the concept of self-care as a means of coping and as a means of healing. So I've never seen it as bubble baths and, you know, elaborate yoga poses and nights out. 
I feel very lucky that I came to it from that perspective. But also in that collision of life events, you know, I did not have the resources. I didn't have the time, the energy, the spare funds, the freedom to do the grand elaborate acts of self-care that we see in the media, right? So the self-care that I'm talking about is healthcare. It's basic self-respect. It is energy management. It's how we pace ourselves so that we can keep giving, keep going. So I love that you've mentioned about showing up as we aspire to, but it's even more basic than that. It's self-preservation. It's how we cope with the demands of our day. It's how we navigate stress, loss, and change. It's how we heal in the aftermath of those things. It's what we do to prepare ourselves from the next curveball. And it's also the stuff that we do that allows us to be a version of ourselves that we can take pride in. And what I would say to anyone who's feeling like I'm failing at this stuff, you wouldn't be sitting upright having this conversation if you weren't doing some form of self-care. You are doing self-care. Maybe you don't have the time and space to express yourself as maybe you wish right now, but you're still looking after yourself. And there are always ways that we can nourish ourselves, even in the midst of life squeeze. Yeah, and I'm talking really simple stuff like movement, imbibing nature's beauty, using all the kind, tender words, loving gesture, whether it's putting hands on heart and just taking a few calming breaths. This is self-care. It's doable and it's powerful. And do you have access to any research around what works? I imagine people listening to this would be really interested in what, you know, there's plenty. If you're Googling self-care or feeling relaxed or anything like that, there will be plenty of stuff out there that you can find. You've studied this. What's the research telling us about what self-care actually works? So we have two decades of scientific research from positive psychology, which examines the foundations of a well-lived life. What makes life worth living? What are the building blocks to well-being? And it comes down to a whole host of different things, whether they are particular practices like mindfulness practices, meditation, breathing, movement, social connection, yeah, goal setting, or whether they are particular skills like gratitude, compassion, kindness, even something like curiosity, self-forgiveness. So this is steeped in scientific research. It's just unfortunate that the term has been hijacked by brands that are touting their wares, right, where we sort of equate self-care with some kind of luxurious, expensive pampering product. The research, we're not talking about that. We're talking about skills and practices, and there is a plethora of research supporting how effective these things are. And it's, it's not just from positive psychology. It's also looking at trauma-informed work, so looking at nervous system health. So that's where we're talking about therapeutic touch. We're talking about specific movement and breath work that can help regulate the nervous system. Interesting. You said something earlier about, I can't remember the word that you used. I was so engaged in and listening to what you were saying afterwards, but something about the moments of overwhelm and coping with that complete, I'm sure it's easy to go to a 15 minute yoga practice if you have a lovely day and the children have gone off to nursery or school on time. However, in a way, it's the days where you really 
need self-care where everything is falling apart. What have you learned? Like, how do you look after yourself on the days where everything is falling apart? Or do you just not have those days anymore? Permission to be human, right? Everyone has those days. Absolutely every single human being has those days. Yeah, no one is immune from stress, burnout, exhaustion, grief, anger. This is just the nature of being human. What I've become more skilled at over the last, wow, over a decade of parenting now is just being really tender with myself, being really compassionate. So I'm becoming more skilled in noticing when I'm depleted or when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I come back to the body. I use the body because our mental health is not just in our head, it's anchored in our nervous system. So it could be a simple gesture of bringing my hands to my heart, softening my shoulders, releasing my eyes, softening my jaw and repeating some kind words to myself like I come home to my body, I feel my breath come home, I can be tender with myself, I give myself permission to feel, I know that this will pass. But then it might also be in more significant commitments to myself. It might be, I'm actually going to schedule an early night tonight. Yeah, this is self-care is, you know, yes, it's in these little micro moments, but sometimes it's also in, you know, really making some commitments in terms of the healthy habits that we use as the scaffolding of our day. But also it's not just about how we tend to ourselves. It's also acknowledging that people need people. It's not about doing it all on your own. There are going to be times when I need to ask for help or I've got to go make sure I get that session with my therapist. I need to see my osteopath. I need some time where I can just sit and have a chat on the phone with my mum, right? So it's not always about us meeting our own needs. It's about giving ourselves permission to reach out and, and ask for help and feel loved and cared for. It's both. We need both. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this idea of tenderness because I think from my interactions with some of the listeners from this podcast is they're usually very driven people. Some might call themselves type A personalities and I think it's hard to have that tenderness and it almost feels, well, I mean, it's kind of touchy-feely. Even as I'm saying it, it feels a bit out of my comfort zone. Do you have any thoughts about someone who realises they're just treating themselves really badly? Yeah, it's a really common thread. Yeah, and I think it's by virtue of the fact we're embedded in a culture that tells us you snooze, you lose, push, push, come on, work hard, rest is lazy. Yeah, we sort of assume that being tough on ourselves garners better performance. But there's some very interesting research that suggests the complete opposite. It shows that self-forgiveness actually helps us make better decisions, yeah? It actually boosts our willpower, self-forgiveness, not being more punitive. So it flies in the face of kind of what we assume, what we associate with, you know, getting better performance. If tenderness feels like a difficult place to start, then I would suggest can we just start with basic self-respect, right? When we look at the diligence with which we charge our mobile phones, yeah, we don't begrudge our cars for needing petrol. Can we please honour our own energy and pace ourselves accordingly? I just think we need to reframe this idea that 
being tough on ourselves is the secret source. It's actually compassion. Compassion is the secret source. And I think it's not a terribly well understood concept, compassion. I think we sort of tend to think of it as empathy or pity in it. It's not. Compassion is sensitivity to the suffering of others or to your own suffering, coupled with the motivation to want to help someone alleviate or avoid that suffering. And from my perspective, I see that that's the heart of self-care, right? That is the heart of acknowledging a need and then doing what we can to meet that need, right? So it's not just noticing, it's coupled with action. So if tenderness feels a little bit fluffy, can we bring it back to compassion? Can we bring it back to basic self-respect? Can we allow ourselves to have human needs? We're not robots, but I think we treat our devices with more respect than we treat ourselves. Mm, yeah, very true. That's very true. Someone told me the other day that they are talking about their phone as if they were another person. And so it's actually quite interesting to think about how much attention you give that person, how much love, kind of, uh-huh. and uh, how much you're charging it in. And how, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love that analogy. And so, I mean, nowadays there are apps and things for everything. Is there a particular app that you would recommend or or I think you've got Instagram haven't you which I unfortunately failed to look at but Lauren Seagersmith said it was very good like how would they someone wants to start with something just a small small step of that compassion what would you recommend where should they head what should they do well, I would say rather than moving outwards I would move inwards where where this is compassion is just bearing witness to where you're at And I think it's easier to start with ourselves because we don't know where someone else is at, right? Can we just take a moment to pause and observe where is my body at right now? What's happening with my physical body? Can I just notice? There's no judgment. There's no right or wrong here. We're just noticing where's my body at? And then can we take a look at where's my energy at? How did I sleep last night? Have I got many beans today? Yeah? Can we observe to what kind of emotion? tones are floating about how am I feeling where's my head at what's the nature of my thoughts you know my thoughts coming thick and fast if it's right right or wrong if we can just just take a moment to check in and then having checked in the beautiful thing is that the body is hardwired to heal itself and it will let us know I think we just tend to override it We ignore all of these signals until they literally stop us in our tracks. But if we can actually just take a moment to, yeah, okay, (laughs) how am I today? What do I need? I think that's a really simple starting point. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. So the other word that you used which intrigued me was freedom. And that made me think because, again, I think a lot of The people that will be listening here, so they really want to make a difference at work. They want to progress, and rightly so, because sadly at the moment we don't have enough women in really senior leadership teams. We do not have enough men with caring responsibilities who actually are actively involved in their children's life and maybe work part-time in those senior leadership teams. So I'm fully supportive of them progressing their career, but it takes a lot of... There's a lot of pressure. And then, of course, children are a lot of pressure. Your word freedom made me think that actually it's it's about taking a moment, kind of giving yourself permission to just do what is right for you rather than what is right for anybody else. You're obviously supporting quite a lot of parents who I'm sure will experience some of those pressures. What advice do you give them about putting themselves first and how to do that practically? Sure. 
Okay, so I think a lot of people have quite a strong emotional reaction to this notion of putting yourself first, right? And I feel it too. Can we reframe that to it doesn't have to be me first, it's just me as well. It just needs to be me as well, okay? And it just, when we understand that self-care is health care, you know, health is our number one commodity, right? In home life, in our work life, without our health, what do we have? So it's just making sure that we prioritise our health as well. And unfortunately, there's an awful lot of stigma around mental health, around sleep, around rest. We've got to do an awful lot of unpicking. I think we've had plenty of campaigns over the last few decades about, you know, exercise. I don't think anyone thinks of it as being indulgent to commit to physical exercise. But when it comes to practices that promote mental health, emotional health, restorative practices, prioritising sleep, there's still some unpicking to do. But these are the fundamentals of our health. And I would just encourage people to reflect on what do you need to function as a human being? What do you need to be able to show up in the roles that are really important to you? And please prioritise those things. Yeah, life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. What we can do on a short-term basis, what we can muscle our way through, we can't necessarily sustain. And at what cost? Do we keep pushing like that? So just take a look at what is it that we need as human beings to not just function, but hey, let's aim for thriving. Can we aim for flourishing? Because in that state, we achieve incredible things. And would you mind sharing what you yourself need to have that flourishing, have those flourishing Mm -hmm. moments and what you do, what you've learned that you do now to achieve it more often? You know, it's ever evolving. Because the fact is, we're embedded in circumstances, some of which is immovable, some of which is malleable, right? So self-care for me during the pandemic, when I was homeschooling two kids and writing a book, looked entirely different to how it is now. They're back at school and my work life is boundary in more specific times, yeah? When I'm really squeezed for time, my self-care is legs up the wall pose, five minutes where I just let myself flop and drop. I say to myself, I can let the world wait. This is time for my replenishment. Yeah. It's prioritizing sleep, getting plenty of early nights. Yeah. When I've got more time on my hands, like now during term time, once I drop the kids off at school, I commit to going for a walk in nature's beauty every morning. And I delay my work day so that I can get that done because that for me is essential for my mental health. This is not just the cardiovascular fitness. It's because that's what I need to be able to think straight. So I do it first up and I don't quibble about it and I'm happy to sacrifice an hour of work to get that done because I'm far more effective and productive after that activity, yeah? And then it will also be there's some kind of restorative practice because from my perspective, we want to use our self-care to bring us back to balance. So I don't want there to be a whole heap of striving and ambition There can be a little bit of effort, but there also needs to be something really soft, something about receiving. So, yeah, there's some kind of restorative practice. Maybe it's a shavasana, a yoga nidra. That's a guided relaxation if anyone's not familiar with that. Or just sitting and looking at nature's beauty, a bit of green gazing. Love that. Mm, Same here. Every day. Same here. I actually chose my co-working space 
that I use because all our team members are based all over the country so we don't work in the same place but we those of us who want to access a co-working space and I chose mine because in order to get there I need to cycle through a really beautiful long park and it's just so nice I love it and it's like you you know it would be much quicker to just stay at my desk but I am making that journey because it's such a lovely it's really nice start of the day and you just arrive fresh and you've got the physical exercise in there there's your self-care. You're doing it. You've got your nature therapy. You've got your movement. Well done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah? And it's Have all evidence-based, according to you, which is very helpful. <laughs> and I think, I think it's interesting about the rest as well. We did a podcast with Alex Pang. You might have come across him. So he did a lot of work on the four-day week, but also he's written a book about rest and the evidence-based behind rest. He's more of an organisational behaviour type mm-hmm. person rather than a psychologist but it's very interesting that there's so much evidence that actually rest is going to make you perform better and I yeah. do sometimes wonder if there's a gender equality issue with rest because if rest makes us perform really well at those deep you know big challenging thoughts and I really think I do actually now I think about it I don't think it's a question I do think it's a gender equality issue because I think there's evidence that you're going to be better at thinking deeply at really solving the big challenging problems you know like the type of how you accelerate our particles in a nuclear what is it called you know I'm making a, a movement with my with my hands which is not helpful on a podcast but essentially you know how you particles in those particle accelerators anyways for that you need rest and actually for that what you're doing is saying well actually now I'm taking an hour out of my work day assuming you have an employer that allows you to do what you want to do that's really powerful I think yeah so is there anything else that you wanted to say about self-care? Because afterwards, I want to ask you about your books. I think we've, we've dived deep. We've got a working definition. We know self-care is healthcare. We know it's energy management. We know it's there to help us cope, to restore, for resilience, for access to a version of ourselves that we can take pride in. We know it doesn't need to take time. We know it needn't incur any expense. But we also know that we don't have to do it all on our own. And I think they're the core messages. And I think if anyone's feeling guilty about it, come back to what's important to you as a human being and understand that you are more likely to be able to be that and model those skills, those qualities when you're well-resourced, when well-nourished. Yeah, it's the thing that actually allows us to live a life imbued with our values. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Excellent summary. The reason why I wanted to ask you about your books is because I think more people who are underrepresented in thought leadership should be writing books. So more people from this podcast, I would love to see publishing books about their area of expertise, whether that's finance, acquisitions or whatever it is. And I'm just interested in, well, how did you have the confidence to write a book? And then how did you go about it? Oh, this is a great story. Do you know what? I always wanted to be a writer. I worked incredibly hard at school. I got a great mark and I still failed to get into the communications degree that I had my heart set on. I missed out by 0.2 of a mark and I was devastated. And my older brother said to me, do you know what? You know how to write. You don't need to study to be a writer. Go and study something that you can write about. And so I studied psychology. 20 years later, Self-Care Revolution came out, my first book, which is essentially writing about the skills and the toolkit that I've developed as a psychologist. So There's another lovely lesson there. Failure is not always a dead end. It can lead you into an incredible place that you just hadn't imagined. So having always wanted to write, 
I used to write resources for my clients and I relied on them quite heavily when I started doing walk and talk sessions in Sydney. So instead of meeting in a consulting room with my clients, we would go for a walk along the beach. And I found that that was an incredible way of us getting out of our own way. You know, when you're sat opposite someone, there's a whole heap of inner dialogue that comes up that sort of sometimes muddies the water. When you take those conversations out into nature's beauty, it just a lot of that stuff just drops away and we get right to the nub of things really quickly. But the downside is you can't take notes. So my clients would have insights or would be talking about skills that would be really useful for them to be able to jot things down. So as a result, I developed resources based on the kind of skills that we were developing in these sessions. And my first book, The Self-Care Revolution, began as a culmination of all of these resources. That's where it came from. And then each subsequent book has been looking at how I can develop the toolkit that I use for different populations. So it's just grown from there. And it's such a joy. It's such a joy to have the opportunity to write. Love Mm. it. It's so interesting because you didn't set out saying, I'm going to write a book within the next year. You just started writing something. Um, That's very thought-provoking. And then, Well, actually, I did. Like, the seed of that book was I just had my second child and I wasn't able to work in the same ways as previously. And writing a book was a way, in my head, of making a financial contribution in a way that allowed me to mother as I wanted to. So it was, yeah, I did set up with that intention of writing a book. The, the writing originally wasn't designed for that, but I did set out to write a book and I thought, yeah, this is how I can balance my work aspirations with motherhood. It has panned out quite well. <laughs> Amazing. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, I think, and can I just ask also, how did you safeguard the time to work on a big long-term thing like that writing a book while being a mother while you're doing corporate well-being you're doing yoga teaching one-to-one counseling and lots of other projects how did you safeguard that time I think just keeping little chunks of time dedicated to that writing process and that's something that's been consistent throughout all of my books There's probably only one book that I've had the chance to sit down and write over like a two-month period where that was basically all I did in my workday. Every other book has been 200 words a day, interrupted with this thing, that thing, and it's just about being consistent. And it is amazing actually what you can achieve with just keeping it small and saying hit that 200-word target a day. And it gets done. I mean, it depends on the length of the book. I mean, there are other people, some of my colleagues are writing incredibly technical books with 80,000 words. That's not the kind of book I'm writing. My books range between 15,000 words and 40,000 words. So it's a slightly different process, I think, depending on the nature of what you're writing. But it's amazing what you can get done with just dedicating an hour. I'm going to make sure there's an hour earmark for writing or editing or thinking. Mm, Interesting. Very helpful. So anyone who is thinking or has a a fledgling ideas about writing a book, definitely listen to Susie and just earmark that time. We are coming to the end of of our time together and you mentioned the word energy management. 
And I would like us to conclude, but maybe if you can just explain a bit about what that is and two or three practical things someone listening to this could do this week to manage their energy. Sure. Amazing. Well, you know, this is, it goes right to the heart of pacing ourselves, doesn't it? And I think we're just going to recognise that life requires energy and not just the stuff that we don't want, like conflict or illness or stress. It's actually things that we aspire to, like having a family, like getting promotions, moving or even planning a holiday. We need to be diligent in how we top ourselves up. How can we do that? Well, I think it's really interesting that sometimes we sort of equate rest with being passive, lying down, doing nothing in stillness and solitude. That is one form of rest. But I want to also champion the fact that rest might be social connection. It might be something that's gently stretchy intellectually. It might be creative expression. It might be movement. And it's certainly, you know, it doesn't have to be an absence of stimulation. On a practical level, what might that look like? We mentioned green gazing. I want to come back to that because I think that's so powerful. If you think about how we are using our vision throughout this, you know, a significant proportion of our day, it's this sort of, it's a narrow gaze. Yeah. It's sort of we're zooming in. What we need is panoramic gaze. We need to dilate the eyes, to take in the periphery. When we take ourselves off to the window, even better, you can go outside, get a dose of sunshine at the same time. Look at the canopy of moving trees in the distance. It's incredibly soothing for the nervous system. It's a bit of rest for the senses. Yeah, so that would be one of my favourite practices. What else can we do? I think gentle movement because we spend so much of our days sat still in one place. So I'd be getting up, taking to my feet and doing some chicken wing shoulder rolls. Fingertips on shoulders to form your chicken wing. Breathe in, elbows up. Breathe out, take your elbows back and down. Six of those. Please do that instead of caffeine after midday. Yeah? Very restorative. So we've had something that uses the senses. We've got something that uses the body that I would just encourage people to, we do need to have a bit of stillness. We do need to have an opportunity where we can switch off and unplug. So I'd be recommending some kind of lying down practice. I've already mentioned legs up the wall. I've mentioned Shavasana, that relaxation pose at the end of yoga, or a guided practice like a yoga nidra, where we just lie down and receive. There's so much effort and ambition in everyday life if we just need to receive. So that would be another essential practice. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And if people want to get involved in your work, how can they do that? Who can get involved? What type of support do you provide? Where can they find out about your books? Where should they head to? Wow. Come and hang out with me on Instagram at Susie Redding. That's where I share a weekly live session demonstrating lots of the practices that we've talked about today. There's a link there to all of my books or my website, which is just susiereading.co.uk. I work with individuals. I work with organisations as well, offering corporate talks and, and coaching. And I'm just I'm passionate about empowering people with the skills of of nourishment and helping them build their own self-care toolkit. So get in touch. We'll do it together. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Susie. And I feel already much more rested because I've been doing the exercises while you're giving the instruction with the chicken wings. Amazing. I'm so glad you've enjoyed it. I have loved being in conversation with you, Marina. Thank you for your insightful questions. Just a joy. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also like episode 24, where I talked to Sohana Ahmed, who is a fellow on the program, or was, about looking after yourself and also looking after others in times of crisis. She is a consultant psychiatrist, but also a medical director. Um, And this interview was recorded during lockdown when she had to lead a team of doctors and nurses who cared for patients with COVID. She is extremely inspirational and I don't think she realizes how much of an inspirational leader that she is, both to me and many others. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please join our newsletter for practical tips and new insights, which we send out once a month. You can head over to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. And we are looking for individuals to get more involved in our movement and especially people who not want to just progress their own careers. We obviously welcome it if you do. That's the whole point of our social enterprise. But also we want people who are keen to be the change for others and, and support others. So on our website, you can see an overview of upcoming events that you can get involved in. If you're very senior, you can apply to become a senior leader mentor. And also, if you're a parent with kids between the ages of 0 and 11, you can apply to join our fellowship program. It's a world-class career development program for parents. You'll get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids as progressing their career. In fact, a lot of the podcast guests have been speakers um, at our events. You also get some practical support around, for example, workload management or saying no. And most importantly, you will have space to think about your vision and making a plan for your career and family life in small group sessions. And just about how to implement all this practically in the context of looking after young children. And there's much more, but you can have a look at it (laughs) yourself. But don't let finance be a barrier. There's some hardship fund spaces available for those of you who need it. And we always want to make sure we have a really diverse group of people applying. So that's it. Enjoy the week. And I hope that you listen again next week. Thank you so much. Bye.